After reciting the Tashahud, Ta'awuz, and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalid al-Masih the fifth, Ayyadullah Ta'ala ibn Aziz, stated, In the previous sermon, I narrated some incidents with regards to Hazrat Zaid bin Haritha, radiallahu anhu. In this regard, I mentioned that the Holy Prophet, sallallahu later married Hazrat Zainab bin Tajash, Furthermore, I said in this regard that there were still some incidents left that needed to be narrated. At the time of her marriage, Hazrat Zainab bin Tajash was 35 years of age. And in light of the circumstances of Arabia at the time, this was considered middle-aged or old. Hazrat Zainab was a righteous, pious and affluent lady. Despite the fact that from among all the wives of the Holy Prophet Hazrat Aisha was contested and rivaled by Zainab alone, Hazrat Aisha still highly praised the inherent virtue and purity of Hazrat Zainab and would often say I have not seen a more pious lady than Zainab She was very righteous and truthful she was very kind towards relatives. She would give a great amount of charity and alms and worked tirelessly 
for goodness and to attain divine nearness. The only thing was that she was a bit heated in temper, but immediately thereafter she would feel remorse herself. The degree to which she would give charity and alms was such that Hazrat Aisha relates i.e. the one from among you who has the longest hands shall be the first to pass away after my demise and join me. Hazrat Aisha anha states that we inferred this to mean physical hands and would often measure our hands with one another. However, when the Prophet ﷺ passed away and Zainab bint Jahsh was the first to leave this world, it was then that the secret revealed itself to us that the word hand referred to charity and arms, not a physical hand. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib further writes, As it was apprehended, upon the marriage of Hazrat Zainab, the hypocrites of Medina raised many allegations and openly taunted that Muhammad had married the divorcee of his son and had made his own daughter-in-law permissible for himself. However, since the very purpose of this marriage was to erase this ignorant Arabian custom, these objections were also inevitable. At this instance, it is also necessary to mention that Ibn Sa'd, Tabari, etc. have recorded an absolutely false narration in relation to the marriage of Hazrat Zainab. Since this narration furnishes an opportunity to raise an objection against the pristine character of the Holy Prophet various Christian historians have adorned their books with this narration in a most unpleasant manner. The story goes that when the Holy Prophet married Zainab bin Tajash to Zayd, one day the Holy Prophet came to the home of Hazrat Zayd in search for him. Incidentally, at the time, Zayd was not at home. Standing outside at the front door, when the Holy Prophet ﷺ called for Zayd, Zainab responded from inside, saying that he was not at home. And recognizing the voice of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, she dashed out immediately and submitted, O Messenger of Allah, may my mother and father be sacrificed for you. Please come in. The Holy Prophet ﷺ, however, refused and sat back. And this narrator further states, But since Hazrat Zainab had suddenly stood up flustered, she happened to stand up without a shawl on her body, and the door of her home was open. As a result, the Holy Prophet ﷺ happened to catch sight of her, and God forbid, fell for her beauty, and returned humming the words, Subhanallah al-Azim, Subhanallah musarrif al-Qulub, meaning, Holy is Allah, 
who is the possessor of all greatness. Holy is Allah, who turns the hearts of people however he so wills. When Zayd returned, Zainab related the story of the visit made by the Holy Prophet When Zayd further inquired as to what the Holy Prophet had said, Zainab repeated these words of the Holy Prophet and also said, I submitted to the Holy Prophet that if he desired, he should come in, but he refused and returned. Upon hearing this, Zayd presented himself before the Holy Prophet and said, O Messenger of Allah, perhaps you desire Zainab for yourself. If it is your wish, I shall divorce her and you can marry her. The Holy Prophet responded, O Zayd, fear God and do not divorce Zainab. However, Zayd divorced Zainab anyway. This is the narration as it is related by Ibn Sa'd, Tabari and others on this occasion. Although this narration can be elaborated in a manner which no longer leaves room for any objection, the truth is that this tale is absolutely fictitious and false from start to finish. It is proven to be fabricated both in terms of riwayat and dirayat, As far as riwayat is concerned, it is enough to state that this narration is primarily related by Waqdi and Abdullah bin Amir Aslami, who are both looked upon by scholars as being absolutely weak and unreliable. In fact, Waqdi is so notorious for his falsehood and lies that from among all the Muslim narrators, he is perhaps second to none in this respect. In contrast, however, the narration which Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib has recorded, the one we have adopted, wherein Zayd presented himself before the Holy Prophet and complained about the harsh treatment of Zainab that was mentioned in the previous sermon, to which the Holy Prophet had responded, Fear God and do not divorce her. This narration is from Bukhari, which in the estimation of both friend and foe is accepted as the most authentic record of Islamic history after the Holy Quran, to which no critic has ever had the courage to raise a finger. Therefore, in light of principles of riwayat, the value and worth of both of these narrations is evident. Similarly, if one contemplates in terms of rationality, there seems to be no doubt in the narration of Ibn Sa'd etc. as being false. It is accepted that Zainab was the paternal cousin of the Holy Prophet to the extent that it was he who acted as her guardian and married her to Zayd bin Harsa. Similarly, no one can deny that until this time, the Muslim women did not observe parda. Rather, 
The initial injunctions relevant to Parda were revealed after the marriage of Hazrat Zainab and the Holy Prophet ﷺ. In this case, to presume that prior to this the Holy Prophet ﷺ had not seen Zainab and it was only then that he coincidentally happened to catch sight of her and then fell for her possesses no more value than a clear and blatant lie. Indeed, prior to that time, the Holy Prophet ﷺ probably would have seen Zainab thousands of times and the beauty and flaws of her body were apparent to him. Although there is no difference in seeing her with or without a shawl, when their relation was so close, the tradition of Parda was not prevalent and there was constant interaction. It is most probable that the Holy Prophet ﷺ would have had the opportunity to see her many times without a shawl. Furthermore, the fact that Zainab invited the Holy Prophet ﷺ inside proves that she was at least wearing enough clothing to be able to present herself before the Holy Prophet ﷺ. Hence, Irrespective of the angle from which this tale is analysed, it proves to be absolutely false and forged, which possesses no truth whatsoever. Along with these arguments, if the impeccably pure and holy life of the Holy Prophet ﷺ is taken into consideration, which was evident from his every moment, nothing at all remains of this absurd and ridiculous tale. It is for this very reason that research scholars have categorically declared this tale to be fabricated and false. For example, Allama ibn Hajar in his Fatul Bari, Allama ibn Kathir in his com- commentary, and Allama Zarqani in his Sharah Mawahib have explicitly stated that this narration is absolutely false and have considered it to be a disgrace of the truth to even allude to it. So too is the case with other research scholars as well. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib has further written, This is not limited to research scholars alone. Rather, every such individual who has not been blinded by prejudice would give precedence to the viewpoint we have presented before our readers on the foundation of the Holy Quran and authentic ahadith. In comparison to this meaningless and loathsome tale, which has been forged and related by certain hypocrites. The Muslim historians, whose only task was to gather all kinds of narrations, included this tale in their works without any investigation, and then blinded by religious prejudice, non-Muslim historians have made this tale the highlight of their books. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib further writes in his book, in the context of this fabricated tale, it should especially be remembered that this time was an era in the Islamic history when the hypocrites of Medina were at full force. A full-fledged conspiracy to defame Islam and the founder of Islam was being hatched under the leadership of Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul. It was their custom to concoct false and fabricated tales and propagate them in secret. Or if the actual case was something else, they would twist it, add a hundred lies to it and begin to publicize it covertly. 
As such, in Surah Al-Ahzab of the Holy Quran, where the marriage of Hazrat Zainab has been alluded to, the hypocrites of Medina have especially been mentioned in parallel as well. Referring to their acts of mischief, Allah the Exalted states, لَإِن لَمْ يَنْتَهِ الْمُنَافِقُونَ وَالَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٌ وَالْمُرْجِفُونَ فِي الْمَدِينَةِ لَنُغْرِيَنَّكَ بِهِمْ ثُمَّ لَا يُجَاوِرُونَكَ فِيهَا إِلَّا قَلِيلًا Meaning, if the hypocrites and those in whose hearts is a disease and those who propagate false seditious news in Medina desist not from their schemes, then, O Messenger, we shall give you permission to take action against them, and then these people shall not continue to reside in Medina except for a little while. In this verse, the false nature of this tale has clearly been mentioned in principle. Then, as it shall be mentioned ahead, it was around this time when the terrible incident of slandering Hazrat Aisha transpired, Abdullah bin Ubay and his wretched followers propagated this lie so widely and disseminated such a twisted version of it that the Muslims began to lose their peace of mind. Certain Muslims, who were of weaker dispositions and unmindful, became victims of this propaganda as well. Hence, this era was especially a time of full force for the hypocrites, and their most desirable weapon was to spread false and filthy propaganda in order to slander the Holy Prophet ﷺ and his relatives. These rumors were spread so cunningly that on certain occasions, due to not having in-depth knowledge of affairs, the Holy Prophet ﷺ and his most prominent companions could not even find the opportunity to rebut these allegations and their poison would continue to spread. In these instances, latter Muslims who were not in the habit of thorough investigation and deep thought would consider this misinformation to be true and begin relating these accounts. It is in this manner that these narrations have found way into the collections of such Muslims who are the Vakdi type, etc. As mentioned above, these narrations are absolutely nowhere to be found among the authentic ahadith, nor have research scholars accepted them. Whilst alluding to the tale of Zainab bin Jahash, Sir William Muir, from whom a better mentality was expected, has not only accepted the fictitious and forged narration of Wakti, but has made a hurtful remark taunting that along with his advancing age he was a critic of Islam and this was exactly the mentality that could be expected from him. And then when they find a reference from the Muslims themselves they have an even more potent opportunity to criticize. So William Muir says Along with the Prophet's advancing age, the carnal passions of the Holy Prophet grew as well, God forbid. 
and Muir has attributed the expansion of his household to this very statement. He has attributed this to carnal passions, God forbid. As a Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib has written, I also present this entire ordeal from the perspective of a historian. I do not wish to enter into a religious debate, but upon witnessing the false portrayal of historical accounts, I cannot remain without raising a voice against such an unpleasant and unjust assertion either. Hence, religious passion and the sanctity of the Holy Prophet Muhammad aside, for which a true Muslim and believer is willing to sacrifice even his life, the historical and rational facts also negate and reject this ridiculous contention. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib further writes, Undoubtedly, it is a historical fact that the Holy Prophet ﷺ married more than once, and history also establishes that with the exception of Hazrat Khadija anha, all of these marriages took place in an era which may be described as of one of old age. However, without any historical evidence, rather, in contradiction to clear historical fact, to assert that the marriages of the Holy Prophet ﷺ were, God forbid, owed to carnal passions, is far from greatness of a historian, and even further still from the greatness of a noble man. Mr. Muir was not oblivious to the fact that at the age of 25, the Holy Prophet ﷺ married a 40-year elderly widow, Hazrat Khadija anha and then fulfilled this relationship until the age of 50 with such integrity and loyalty that its like can be found nowhere else. After this, until the age of 55, the Holy Prophet ﷺ practically kept only one wife, and coincidentally this wife, Hazrat Sauda, also happened to be a widow who was a lady well advanced in age. During this entire period, which is especially a period of carnal urge, the Holy Prophet ﷺ never thought of additional marriages. Mr. Muir was also not at all unaware of the historical occurrence that when the people of Mecca could no longer bear the preaching efforts of the Holy Prophet ﷺ and considered it to be destructive to their national religion, they sent a delegation to the Holy Prophet ﷺ, led by Utbah bin Rabia. The delegation fervently pleaded to the Holy Prophet ﷺ so that he would desist from his efforts. In addition to bribing him with wealth and power, they also begged that if he would be content upon marrying a worthy girl and thus refrain from speaking ill of their religion and abstain from preaching this new faith, they were prepared to give him any girl he desired. At that time, the Holy Prophet ﷺ was not very old and his physical strength was also better than in his later life. However, 
the response that the Holy Prophet gave to the representative sent by the chieftains of Mecca is an open page of history, and Mirza Bashir Ahmad says, which does not need to be repeated here. The historical occurrence was also not hidden from the eyes of Mr. Mule, that prior to his divine appointment, that is until 40 years, the people of Makkah considered the Holy Prophet ﷺ to be a man of impeccable character. However, despite all these testimonies for Mr. Mule to write that after the age of 55, the Holy Prophet ﷺ became indulged in sensuality and lust, despite the fact that his physical strengths naturally became weaker, and his engagements and responsibilities grew to such an extent that the busiest of people are put to shame, cannot be considered as being anything other than a prejudiced remark. Anyone is free to say as he wishes, and others do not have the power to stop such a person's tongue and pen. But an intelligent person should not make a statement which common sense rejects. If Mr. Muir and others like him had removed the veil of prejudice from their eyes, they would have come to know that the mere fact that all these marriages of the Holy Prophet ﷺ took place in his old age proves that they were not motivated by carnal desires. Obviously, there were other motives hidden beneath the surface, especially when it is a historical fact that the Holy Prophet ﷺ spent the days of his youth in such a state that his own and others all referred to him by the title of Amin. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib writes, Every reader of these facts and every person who comes to know of this derives a spiritual pleasure in studying the fact that the era in which these marriages of the Holy Prophet ﷺ took place was a time when the greatest burden of the responsibilities of prophethood was being shouldered by him. And the Holy Prophet ﷺ was becoming fully engrossed in the fulfillment of his countless and heavy responsibilities. And for every just and noble person, this very fact alone establishes that these marriages of the Holy Prophet ﷺ were a part of his responsibilities of prophethood, for which he destroyed his own domestic peace in order to support the objectives of preaching and training. An evil person searches for an evil motive in the actions of others, and due to his own filthy state, is often at a loss to understand the pure intentions of others. However, a noble person knows and understands that often the same action is performed by a sinister man with evil intent, while a pious man can and does perform the same action with a good and pure intention. In Islam, and this should be clear, that in Islam the purpose of marriage is not so that man and woman can come together in order to satisfy their carnal desires. 
Although the union of man and woman is a genuine purpose of marriage so that human life can continue, there are also many other wholesome purposes as well. Hence, in identifying the motives behind the marriages of such a person, whose every movement in life was a testimony to his selflessness and purity, and twisting them towards ill intent in the manner of wicked people, cannot harm the person with regards to whom this opinion is voiced. But instead, the inner state of the critic can be well understood. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Sahib says, I shall say no more in response to this allegation. Wallahu musta'anu ala ma yasifun. Meaning, and Allah alone is the helper against that which they allege. Whilst clearing a nikah sermon, Hazrat Khalid Numsi II mentioned a point regarding wedlock and nikah, which I too will mention. He stated, The Holy Prophet arranged for his paternal cousin to marry Zaid. We cannot say that the Holy Prophet ﷺ did not perform the istikhara prayer, make supplications, or place his trust in God Almighty. By all means, the Holy Prophet ﷺ carried all these out. He performed the istikhara prayer and made supplications. But despite all this, God Almighty did not decree for his efforts to bear fruit. With regards to the reason for this, Hazrat Khalid II states, The reason behind this is that God Almighty desired to demonstrate to the people that the Holy Prophet had no male offspring, be they blood-related or by law. When people adopt children, they are considered one's children by law. The Holy Prophet had no biological son, but according to the national constitution and the law of the land at the time, he had children, for example, Hazrat Zayd. The people would call him by the name Ibn Muhammad, i.e. son of Muhammad. Through the incident of the marriage to Hazrat Zainab, God Almighty established that one's children are only those according to the laws of nature, i.e. biological children. Children by law are not truly one's offspring. Children who are adopted are ultimately not one's true children. The laws relating to one's biological children were also applied to other children in those times. Therefore, the only method of establishing this was for that the Holy Prophet ﷺ to marry the divorced wife of Hazrat Zayd. God Almighty did not allow for the differences between Zayd and his wife to go away. But if he so willed, God Almighty could of course have removed them. Yet he chose not to, even though the Holy Prophet ﷺ performed the istikhara prayer, made supplications, placed his trust in God Almighty, and made every effort to make it work. Divine wisdom behind this was that when Zayd divorces his wife, she ought to come into the wedlock of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, so that it may be established that Though one may have children according to the law of the land, they are not the same as biological children.
This was a point which Hazrat Khalifatunsi II mentioned, highlighting the wisdom behind that wedding. With regards to how the Holy Prophet treated freed slaves, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib writes in Sir Khatman Nabiyin. It was a practice of the Holy Prophet that for the purpose of reforming the ancient views of people, he would be even more mindful of the dignity and honor of slaves and freed slaves than others. Therefore, on many occasions, the Holy Prophet appointed his freed slave, Zayd bin Haltha and his son Osama as the commander of many military campaigns. Many highly respected and prominent companions were appointed under them. And when ignorant people objected to this action of the Holy Prophet due to their ancient views, he responded, You have objected to the appointment of Osama as a commander, and prior to this, you have also objected to the leadership of his father Zayd. By God, just as Zayd was worthy and capable of leadership and was among my most beloved, so too Usama was worthy of leadership and among my most beloved people. At hearing this statement of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, which was laden with the true equality taught by Islam, the next of the Prophet's companions bowed down in acceptance, and they came to understand that in Islam, to be a slave or the child of a slave, or to hail from an apparently lesser fraction of society, cannot be an obstruction in the way of a person's progress and advancement in any way, and that the true standard of success was based on righteousness personal acumen and ability. Then above all this, what could be greater than the fact that the Holy Prophet ﷺ wed the daughter of his biological paternal aunt, Zainab bin Tajahash, to Hazrat Zayd bin Harsa? And it is a strange miracle that in the entire Holy Quran, if any companion has been mentioned by name, it is this very Zayd bin Harsa, Regarding the Islamic way of freeing slaves, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib further writes, The reason being that a very large number from among these people who were freed according to the Islamic method were found to be of such people who reached the very highest level of success in all fields and assumed the status of being Muslim leaders in various areas. For example, as mentioned above, Zaid bin Hartha was a freed slave, but he developed such ability that the Holy Prophet appointed him as a commander in many Islamic campaigns. Highly eminent companions and even accomplished generals, the like of Khalid bin Walid, were positioned under him. Hazrat Zaid participated in the battles of Badr, Uhud, Khandak, Treaty of Hudaybiyah, and the battles of Khaybar alongside the Holy Prophet. He is considered one of the most expert archers of the Holy Prophet ﷺ. The Holy Prophet ﷺ appointed Hazrat Zayd as the leader of Makkah upon his departure for the expedition of Muraisi, another name for Bani Mustalik. This took place in Shaban 5 Hijri according to Sirat al-Halabiyah.
Hazrat Salma bin Akwa states, I participated in seven expeditions alongside the Holy Prophet and I took part in nine expeditions in which the Prophet of Allah did not participate. And during those, he appointed Hazrat Zaid bin Harsa as the leader of the Muslim army. Hazrat Aisha radiallahu anha narrates, Whenever the Messenger of Allah dispatched Hazrat Zaid with an army, he appointed him as its leader. She continues to narrate, The Holy Prophet would have appointed Hazrat Zaid as the leader if he was alive afterwards as well. In his book, Sirat Khatman Nabiyyin, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib writes regarding Ghazwa Safwan, which is also known as Ghazwa Badrat al-Ula, and took place in Jumadi al-Akhir of 2 Hijri. After Ghazwa Ushayra, Ten days had not passed since the return of the Holy Prophet ﷺ to Medina, when a chieftain of Makkah named Qurz bin Jabir Fihri, very cunningly along with the company of the Quraysh, suddenly raided a pasture of Medina, which was situated only three miles from the city, and fled with camels belonging to the Muslims. As soon as the Holy Prophet ﷺ received news of this, he appointed Zaid bin Hartha as the emir in his absence, and set out in pursuit along with the group of companions. The Holy Prophet ﷺ pursued him until he reached Safwan, which is an area close to Badr, but he made good his escape. This Ghazwa is also known as Ghazwa Badr al-Ula. This was mentioned earlier. I will now briefly mention the expedition of Ushaira. When the Holy Prophet ﷺ was informed about the evil plans of the Quraysh, he departed from Medina and arrived at a coastal area called Ushayda. Although there were no encounters with the Quraysh, a treaty with the Banu Mudlij tribe was signed. After this, the Holy Prophet returned to Medina. When he received the news that the disbelievers were gathering their forces, he travelled to the coastal area called Ushayra. The Holy Prophet ﷺ considered to face them outside of Medina. However, this battle never took place. One benefit of this journey was that a peace treaty with one of the tribes was signed. I would like to elaborate further about the difference between a Ghazwa and a Syria. As some people may not know, a Ghazwa is an expedition in which the Holy Prophet ﷺ took part in, and a Syria or Ba'ath is an expedition in which he was not present. It should be elaborated further in this regard that it is not necessary to set out to perform jihad of the sword for an expedition to be declared as a Ghazwa or Syria. In fact, 
Every journey that the Holy Prophet ﷺ undertook in the state of a battle is considered a ghazwa, whether its purpose was to fight or not, even if later they were compelled to fight. The same is the case of Syria. Hence, every ghazwa and Syria is not a military expedition. As mentioned before, no battle took place during the ghazwa of Oshera. After the conclusion of the Battle of Badr, when the Holy Prophet ﷺ was leaving, he dispatched Zayd bin Harsa towards Medina and instructed him to go in advance and inform the people of Medina about the good news of victory. Hence, Zayd arrived in Medina before the Holy Prophet ﷺ and informed everyone about the victory. This made the companions very jubilant because of the great success of Islam. However, they were somewhat regretful at the same time for being deprived of the blessings of partaking in such a magnificent jihad. The good news of victory also lessened the sorrow which the Muslims of Medina faced generally, and Hazrat Usman experienced specifically due to the demise of Ruqayya, daughter of the Holy Prophet She passed away just a few moments before Hazrat Zayd's arrival, she was sick and the Holy Prophet ﷺ had to leave her behind as he departed for the Battle of Badr. Hazrat Usman was not able to participate in this expedition for this very reason. While mentioning about the dispatching of Hazrat Zayd bin Harsa towards Qarda in 3 Hijri of Jamadi al-Akhir, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib writes, After the Muslims had become somewhat free from the attacks of Banu Sulaim and Banu Ghadfan, they were compelled to go forth from their homeland to put down another threat. Until now, for their trade ventures in the north, the Quraysh would generally travel to Syria from the coastal route of Hejaz. However, they had now abandoned this route because, as mentioned above, the tribes of this region had become allies of the Muslims. Hence, there was a smaller chance for the Quraysh to spur mischief. As a matter of fact, in these circumstances, they began to consider the coastal route to be a threat for themselves. In any case, they had now abandoned this route and begun to travel from the route of Najd, which led to Iraq. The tribes of Sulaim and Ghadfan, who were allies of the Quraysh, and were deadly enemies of the Muslims, inhabited the close proximity of this region. As such, in the month of Jumadi al-Akhirah, the Holy Prophet ﷺ received intelligence that a trade caravan of the Quraysh of Makkah was to pass by this route of Najd. It is obvious that if the movement of caravans belonging to the Quraysh to and from the coastal region was a cause of threat for the Muslims, their passing by the route of Najd was equally, rather even more dangerous. The reason was that, unlike the coastal route, this new route was inhabited by allies of the Quraysh, 
who, like the Quraysh, were thirsty for the blood of the Muslims. It was very easy for the Quraysh to join forces with them and launch a sudden attack upon Medina at night or perform any other act of mischief. Then in order to weaken the Quraysh and push them so that they may be inclined to seek reconciliation, it was necessary to intercept their caravans on this route as well. Hence, as soon as the Holy Prophet ﷺ received word, he dispatched a detachment of his companions under the leadership of his freed slave, Zayd bin Hartha. Chieftains such as Abu Sufyan bin Harb and Safwan bin Umayyah also accompanied this trade caravan of the Quraysh. Zayd performed his duty with remarkable speed and intelligence and subdued these enemies of Islam at a place known as Qarada, situated in Najd. Flustered by this sudden attack, the people of the Quraysh fled, leaving the goods and valuables of the caravan behind. Zayd bin Harsa and his companions returned to Medina with success and triumph with a large value of spoils. Some historians have written that the guide of this caravan of the Quraysh was a man named Furat, who was taken captive at the hands of the Muslims and then set free upon his acceptance of Islam. However, it is ascertained from other narrations that he was an idolater commissioned to spy upon the Muslims. However, later on, after becoming a Muslim, he migrated to Medina. Hazrat Aisha relates, When Zayd bin Haritha returned to Medina from an expedition, the Messenger of Allah was in my house. Hazrat Zayd came and knocked on the door of the house. The Holy Prophet welcomed and embraced Zayd, and Zayd kissed the Prophet's hand. During the month of Shaban in the fifth year after migration, when the Holy Prophet ﷺ called for the people to join an expedition towards Banu Muslik, according to some narrations, the Holy Prophet ﷺ appointed Hazrat Zayd bin Haritha as the Emir of Medina. On the day of the expedition of Khandak, the flag of the emigrant companions was also in the hands of Zayd bin Haritha. The mention of Hazrat Zayd bin Haritha will continue in the future. Next, there is some saddening news. Respected Maryam Salman Gul Sahiba, who is the daughter of Mubarak Ahmed Siddiqui Sahib, passed away on 17th of June at the age of 25 years. To Allah you belong and to him shall we return. Her illness was discovered only a few days ago. When she became quite sick, she was admitted to hospital. But divine decree prevailed and she was not able to regain her health. All those who knew her have said about the deceased that she was a very loving and courteous individual. She was very regular in her five daily prayers. She was empathetic and helpful to others. She possessed a loving relationship with Khilafat. Aside from her parents and her husband, she has left behind two daughters named Nayab and Zaryab. Nayab is five years old and Zayab is one and a half. Maryam Salman Sahiba's mother, Gul Mubarak Sahiba, says, We have had to bear three tragedies 
in the last six weeks. The person writing this says, First, Gul Mubarak Sahiba's brother passed away, then her sister passed away last month in May, and now her daughter has also passed away. May God Almighty grant them patience and fortitude. Maryam Salman Sahiba was a secretary of new converts in a local Jamaat of Epsom. She had a positive, cheerful spirit characterized by high morals and regularly assisted those who required help. The Southern Legender of her locality writes, She was carrying out her duties excellently as secretary of new converts in an exemplary manner. She maintained a relationship of such endearment and love with the new converts that these new Ahmadi ladies would naturally fall in love with the system of the Jamaat. A recent lady convert to Ahmadiyyat, Frida Nelson Saiba says, I remember the first time I went to a Jamaat meeting. I was a little anxious that I would feel left out. However, as soon as Maryam saw me, her face lit up with a big smile. She walked right up to me, held me in an embrace, and then proceeded to sit with me for the entire time. Then, after this as well, she came to my house with a box of chocolates as a gift and proceeded to tell me all about the blessings of Jamaat and Khilafat. Similarly, there is another lady who has converted to Ahmadiyyat named Andalib Sahiba, who says, In my estimation, every sectary of new female converts should be like Maryam, because I remember, the first time I met her, she embraced me with so much love that I felt as though I have found a loving sister in her. She used to bring small gifts for me and my children to my home. She always kept in touch with me by way of phone and regularly visited me. Among her circle of friends, she would often discuss the blessings of Khilafat and the system of the Jamaat. She would become the best friends with the new female converts and would help them, which fostered a passion in them to participate in Jamaat programs. She further writes, Through the deceased moral and spiritual training, I have become the general secretary of my locality. She then writes, The deceased used to spend out of a modest personal spending money to help others. Mubarak Siddiqui Sahib, the father of Maryam Sahiba, writes, She listened to the Friday sermons with great regularity and gave precedence to faith over worldly matters in all her affairs. The Majlis Shura took place two days prior to her passing away and during this time Maryam was in ICU. I said to her that I will get permission not to attend the Shura. But Maryam responded by saying, No, do not worry about me. Do not leave any Jamaat event because of me. Because that is the pledge that we have made with the promised Messiah, that we shall give precedence to our faith over all worldly matters. She also used to write English poems, and the summary of one such poem is that whenever anyone starts to undertake any good work, many trials and difficulties may befall them, and people will doubt one's sincerity. Let people do what they do. We ought to simply continue with our virtuous works.
Similarly, she also wrote a poem on Khilafat in Urdu. In St. George's Hospital, where she was admitted, her nurse, who was a German lady, said that whenever she would speak to Maryam, she felt as though she was speaking to an angel. In the summer, when the temperature would rise, she would keep bottles of water in her fridge. Then, on her day off, she would sit with her daughters and write on top of the bottles that this water is free of charge. Many English people would come and stop at the stall and benefit from it. One day, an English woman asked her, What gave you this idea to put water and chocolates on a table outside your home, giving them out for free? Mariam responded that the children are off from school for a week, and to facilitate their vacation, I will put up this stall all week. The English woman responded, I spend thousands of pounds to take my children on vacations and to relax in faraway places, but I do not attain contentment. I did not realize that true peace can be achieved by helping others from one's own home. She was always the first in meeting people and greeting them. If she did not end up meeting anyone from her acquaintances or from among her neighbors for a few days, she would message them and inquire about their well-being. Another great quality of hers was that she would always look for the good qualities of others and would appreciate them for those good qualities. She always had a smile on her face. She was a girl who greatly trusted Allah the Almighty and was grateful of God's favors. May Allah have mercy on her and grant her forgiveness. And just like the hope that this girl had about her Lord, may Allah Almighty treat her with even greater love and may He take her in the embrace of His love and continue to elevate her status in paradise. May God Almighty always keep her daughters in His protection and refuge, and may He accept all those prayers which she offered for her daughters. May He grant her parents true patience and fortitude. May they also be completely resigned from the depths of their hearts to the will of God, and may they bring up her daughters in an exemplary manner. May Allah enable her husband to give them the love of both a mother and a father. May Allah continue to elevate her status in paradise. After the Friday prayers, I will offer her funeral prayer. Everyone ought to join me in this. I will go outside to lead the funeral prayer. Those of you who are inside should remain here.